right, all right, all right. Welcome to Freightonomics. Welcome to a new year. Welcome to the new supply chain. Everything's different now. Probably not so much. Uh, I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freightwaves. Along with me, as always, Anthony Smith, Lead Economist. And we're here to bring you Freightonomics, the combination right. of the freight market and transportation industry with the macroeconomic environment. Anthony, did you have a good new year? I had a great new year. I had a great 2021. Yeah. I'm looking forward to 2022, I think. I mean, it's been a nice six days so far. I'm hoping the next six days are great as well. I'm going to take it as it comes, and I'm just happy to be here. Happy to be healthy here in Chattanooga in this nice, cold, miserable weather that I moved all the way from Boston for. But no, I am doing good. What about yourself? Well, it's rainy, so it's not yeah. the snow that you would normally awful. get. So, yeah, I, I had a good New Year's myself. Uh, you know, I feel totally different. Totally different now. New I Year, new me, right? That, no. I mean, I was surprised. I mean, holiday shopping, just from an economist standpoint and freightonomic standpoint. I mean, I don't know if you were out and about a little bit in the malls or anything like that, but it did get out there. Surprisingly, shelves weren't really diminished. I mean, things were stocked up for the most part. Like there was nothing I went to like a Best Buy or anything like that where I was like, oh, wow, they're fresh out of this or they're out of that. Everything pretty much had everything I wanted. I mean, I, I ran into a few snags here and there, but I'm going to say this. It wasn't any different than like the rest of the year. Yeah. <laughs> like there, I, I think I noticed more stuff in the grocery store than I did on the shelves in the store because again, e-commerce. Yeah. I, if I'm going out for something, it's, <laughs> it's, it's desperation. <laughs> yeah. And I know this is a completely different tangent because we have news stories and we have sonar <laughs> things and we have so many other things to get to, but alongside that e-commerce trend of like you buy stuff online and then you have a good experience and then you enjoy that thing or maybe you don't like it, you have to return it, then you mm -hmm. have to go through that whole song and dance or whatever. But a big part of really what stood out to me for businesses to be successful in this e-commerce world is that customer success aspect. I mean, we have great customer success folks here at FreightWaves, of course, but when we're looking at like how easy it is to return something or hey, I received this item and it was damaged and you just get nothing on the other end or like, hey, here's, uh, you know, two bucks, you know, for your troubles. <laughs> Thank you so much. Shop with us again. I'm like, you know, I don't want to shop here anymore. I'm going to go with this competitor now or I'm going to go with this outlet. But that's just a whole nother tangent that I'm kind the of return logistics. Now. Return logistics yeah. is definitely a thing. And it's the largest it's ever been, um, not just including Messy. Christmas, but we're here to discuss what is going on with the supply chain environment moving into 2022. What are we learning? What if, what has changed? You know, I said new year, new me. That was being sarcastic <laughs> as usual. Um, everything is basically the same on my end. Uh, just turning the calendar doesn't necessarily change that much, but in transportation, January is typically Anthony Smith, and we've talked about this on FreightWaves now, a very slow period of time. It's where everybody kind of hits the reset button. Uh, we see a lot lower freight volumes. We see a lot of things kind of go into a downward shift out of a superheated environment over Christmas. That is not the case this year. Uh, that's yeah. not changed, and we've got some stuff uh, going on right now that we're going to dive into here in a minute. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're going to dive into it, just as you mentioned, but one of the big things, of course, um, new year, new me. Some of the trends that have really been, 
that begun in mm-hmm. 2021 that we've been talking about are really kind of making its way into the new year. And so it's just like that momentum that's been building up or that momentum that's been slowing down, it's persisting into this new year. So definitely excited to jump exactly. into this. Well, today. let's jump into the news, the stories of the week of the new year. Uh, get some newsonomics. So we've got the first story, and we touched on this this morning again, Freightways now, uh, but it's this new index, the GSCPI. So global supply chain, uh, it basically measures the supply chain pressures. Global supply chain, global supply chain pressure index. <laughs> Say that three times <laughs> fast. Um, and it basically is saying that it is the worst it's ever been in terms of pressure on the supply chain. Now, Greg Miller uh, has this article, and you definitely should read it. It's very interesting. I think it's one of the first times that we're seeing the Fed take a real macro interest in supply chain, uh, mainly because they need to. Uh, It's a huge part of the economy, and moving forward, it's obviously going to be a big component to to watch as that involves inflationary pressures and things like that. so Greg Miller said, you know, writes this article and he interviews uh, the people that uh, built it, I suppose. And it's built on variables that are meant to capture factors that put pressure on the global supply chain. Uh, following the onset of COVID, the GSCPI showed a sharp jump in co- coinciding with the initial lockdowns in China, Europe, and the U.S. Then came a second, even larger rise, one that's still underway, one that is still underway, key, key component here, uh, coinciding with the surge in consumer demand. And the consumer demand has really been the key component of this index probably uh, coming out. Now, the components, you, you can read about them. There's a lot of them going on here. There's a few components that are questionable, and I wanted to call these out uh, because some of the, like the Harpex uh, and the BDI, uh, again, not getting into details about what these are, but they don't necessarily have a direct relationship with, say, global, you know, container ship movement, cargo movements, things like that. They're kind of side things. And the reason that they put them in there is because they had longer data lines. And this is so typical with some of the, you know, it's in the academic space or in the government space when they're building indexes, they need long lengths of history to establish relationships and connections. I hate it. I'm just yeah, going to go ahead and say I was going to ask you about that because that's, that's definitely a big one here. And when we're looking at this story, for sure, is that that long data history. I'm like, not to say that this and not to say that this index is not valid because mm-hmm. of that. But I just don't like data availability. Just because something exists doesn't mean it should be included. Yeah. If it yeah. doesn't, if it doesn't exist, don't put it in there. Yeah. And I think that's the struggle of like, hey, this long data history. Now we can say that this is statistically relevant and mm-hmm. we have uh, patterns to prove what happened throughout this pattern, this example. Mm-hmm. But I love that aspect of being able to see what's happening right now. And yeah. so that's I think that's the balance that a lot of people are going to have to kind of really take with them is, OK, this data has been, you know, in place since the 1980s or whatever it is versus this is new data, this is fresh <laughs> data, this is as of today, yesterday. Even in cases, I, I when I see government data that's released on a weekly mm-hmm. basis, I'm like, oh, wow, they're on it, you know, yeah. because I know that is a huge undertaking. But when I see it just because it's a monthly index or something like that, because as a long history, I just kind of start to think, is it as relevant still? You know, my whole thing is like actionable data. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like to like, yeah, it's it's good to have stuff that explains the past and gives you context and things like that. But that this and that's not necessarily the case here with the with these two data points. It's 
that they've included data that doesn't necessarily connect or describe what it's trying to describe because simply it's not there. Like yeah. it's, it, it, we don't have enough history. We have, we have data points that have a few years of history and they do a very, and it's universally accepted as descriptive of the environment and the experience. Having five years so you can do a long standing statistical correlation coefficient on it. It's too late. It doesn't, it doesn't do anybody any good. Um, so that's my only crit criticism. <laughs> Otherwise, it looks like it's doing its job. Yeah. So those two components are not necessarily because it looks like supply chains are still a mess, uh, as messy as they've ever been. Um, and that's backed up. Greg Miller does a fantastic job, as usual, of putting some other uh, descriptive statistics in here, such as the pileup at the port of Los Angeles, Long Beach, that continues throughout the holiday season. So... Uh, definitely one that I recommend everybody go out and check out. And I'm glad that the supply chain is getting more attention yeah. and the seriousness is being taken. It's not just a topic that's just, you know, at the back of thought mm -hmm. and infrastructure is getting put in place or mm -hmm. there's more initiative towards it. Um, hopefully this continues to get flushed out. We'll see more aspects of the supply chain really get brought to the forefront and talking about, you know, even parking situations right. and availability for those drivers and really continue to build out an infrastructure that's going to be uh, conducive of being efficient because we're talking about net zero carbon and where we can get to that from an efficiency standpoint or just from a you know, technology standpoint. But efficiency is definitely, I think, one of the first steps there. And as I think our buddies Danny would say, uh, <laughs> you know, and Tyler would Danny say Tyler. the low-hanging fruit is inefficiency. Oh, man, you're, you're using my trigger words, efficiency, <laughs> low-hanging fruit. Yeah. It, they're, they're out there. Um, but moving forward into our next story, uh, I want to I touch on this, and then I want to dive in deeper a little bit later in the main discussion. Noe Mahoney writes uh, this one, uh, U.S. cash-in on reshoring manufacturing opportunities. Uh, and this is basically the idea that all that production and manufacturing comes back into the United States or Mexico or Canada, something that doesn't have to get on a container ship. Uh, I, I think this, is a, this has been an ongoing discussion. It's one of those things that's so much easier said than done uh, when you're talking about factories coming back and having the labor. I, I just There's so much here to unpack, but definitely check this article out. Reshoring of jobs from overseas could create 200,000 positions this year, according to Harry Moser, president of the Reshoring Initiative, which tracks manufacturing jobs returning to the U.S. Uh, in 2020, quite a lot of jobs came back because of the need to fill the supply chain for goods such as gloves, gowns, gas masks, due mostly to COVID pandemic stuff, uh, Moser told FreightWaves. Now thinking about moving that freight is just as important <laughs> as the FOB price, Moser said. Uh, now companies have to consider the freight's availability, which I guess, you know, fool me once or burn me once, they've been burned. And so they're looking for new ways to have availability of their inventory. Yeah, um, so I have a lot of issues with this. When I'm looking <laughs> this like I said, number. hold some of the comments. We'll, re we'll readdress yeah. this here in just a few minutes. Perfect. Uh, because I can tell I've triggered you as well. So I, 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 my mind is just, <laughs> please. So let's, let's go to the last story here so we can get into the meat of the main discussion. And this is my article, Chart of the Week. Uh, wrote it during the week of oblivion, as I call it, uh, <laughs> here where that weird period between Christmas and New Year's. Mm. And I noticed something in our data, our outbound tender volume index. Uh, hopefully we have the chart, we can pull that up. So if we pull up the OTVI, Measures truckload tenders, electronic requests, 
for capacity from shipper to carrier. And this index was elevated over last year. If you look at the blue line, they're in that little trough that you see. Yeah, there's a big trough that happens every year around Christmas and New Year's, and it stays down. It's because of the seven-day moving averages. Um, and But the key takeaway here is that blue line elevated over that green line, which is last year. And last year was supposed to be just the most chaotic, <laughs> turbulent time period in freight history right around peak season. But the reality was is that we saw volumes decline That's throughout this one. Yeah. And I mean, that, I love that comparison because, as you mentioned, we saw some of it or we spoke to it a little bit on Freight Waves Now mm -hmm. um, this morning. And some of the other trends that really, I think, did a great job of drawing out. And that converging trend, I think, that you were talking to as oh, well. Oh, you mean the Outbound Tender Rejection Index? Yes. I think we have that chart as well available if we bring it up for the viewers. The OTRI, of course, measuring the percentage of the tender volumes that are rejected, moving closer to last year at this point. And if you look at those two other lines, the green line and the orange line here, that's 2020 and 2019. Seasonally speaking, we have a peak around Christmas and then it collapses <laughs> as carrier availability comes online. This year, not the case. Rejection rates staying up and almost look like they're just staying on a plateau around 22 and a half percent entering the new year. Very unusual trend line. And it's, it, it just goes to show that no, we cannot apply too much history forward. So those, uh, the federal government people trying to do their long running history, applying yeah. 2006 data to today, it just doesn't, we're in a, we're in a new era of information where, in it, where things change so dramatically, you don't need 2006 data to get the job done. <laughs> and, and so I got to bring something up that you really, I think did a great job of explaining earlier this week on our, on our comeback to Freightways Now, um, talking about the outbound tender rejection index and the levels that it's at right now, really that even though it's been higher before, it means now more than ever because mm -hmm. contract rates are so much higher and that each incremental increase now is exponentially more just mm -hmm. because rates are higher than what they were previously. And so even though we saw some of those rejection rates come down, that's because compliance was increasing, because prices were coming up, but now we're seeing prices come up still and some of that compliance now fall by the wayside. And so I think that's a great point that you made there. I definitely mm -hmm. have to bring it up here. Yeah, no, I, I mean, those rejection rates mean more. Yeah. I mean, 22% rejection of an average of $2.75 a mile rate is way more uh, important than a rejection rate of 25% when the average rate is $2 a mile. Right. And that's exactly what you're looking at right there is, and we're moving in the other direction. So the freight market right now, very, uh, tumultuous. We're, we're nowhere near out of this cycle yet, although we do have some things that I'm going to touch on here in a minute uh, that make me think that it's, it should improve and get better. Oh, well, optimism. <laughs> I From mean, to start the, the, maybe it is a new you yeah, in this new year. I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic <laughs> at this point. I've been wrong quite a bit this past year. Thank you so much for that historical data. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm looking forward to that one. But we also have, of course, some econ releases mm. on my end as well. So um, starting it off real quick in econ 101. Mm. I forgot about that slide. Yeah. <laughs> but we also have... Um, non-defense capital goods new orders, which is getting updated. So looking upstream at manufacturing, we have in this chart here in the blue line, we have non-defense capital goods new orders, um, excluding aircraft. And we also have in the orange line, of one of my favorites, my favorite of all time, the flatbed outbound tender rejection index. Still which is high. 
it's still hot. It's still high. And this is one of those things that is unseasonable. Yeah. Because usually we don't see a lot of manufacturing activity this time of the year. Construction goes away. Construction eases. And then usually we don't also, we also don't see a lot of flatbed activity throughout this time of the year, but we're seeing capacity tighten. We're seeing more activity with those upstream uh, orders coming in Mm -hmm. more and more. So we really are seeing some unseasonal things during this time of the year. Now, when we're talking about manufacturing in 2021, towards the end of the year, expectations are that it's going to have some growth, but slower growth throughout the first parts of 2021. Slower uh, growth. Slower growth. Not not slow growth. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the key. slow growth. I have to reiterate it. (laughs) And growth nonetheless, not just like a complete (laughs) fall off. And so, I mean, this point really gets, I think, drives the point when we looked at the ISM PMI that just got updated as well, mm-hmm. um, because we look at that and that has a, a really a leading indicator effect or that's what they really aim to do as well. We're looking at some of the breakouts from it. And so um, in the ISM PMI, we see that there was a slight downward movement for this most recent update, but that downward movement isn't indicative of that there's gonna be decline. So if we pull up the ISM PMI chart here, we're gonna see that it moved down just slightly um, from that high that we had, uh, or not the high, I should say, but that <laughs> level that we saw um, in November report that was put out in December, um, showing that there's just a uh, slight downward movement now, still very much in that growth pattern, showing that growth is, well, well that the rate, the percentage point rate now is reading at, I think it's at 60, or 58.7 down from that 60, uh, 61.1 movement. So we're still seeing that there is still overall growth here. Anything above 50 is indicative of expansion, while anything below 50 is indicative of contraction. The big takeaway here from this most recent ISM PMI or the ISM report from the uh, Institute for Supply Management comes from prices, which moved down from 82.4 percentage points to 68.2. So this is a downward movement of 14.2 percentage point move. uh, move They're still growing. Still growing. Just not at that white hot. Yeah pace. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we're going to start to see some prices continue to mm-hmm. rise yeah. at a little bit of a slower rate, maybe uh, stabilizing a little bit, but it's the beginning of the year. So some things are going to happen. We might see some uh, 2022 price increases for the year for many manufacturers who have maybe been holding off on passing some of those uh, mm-hmm. price, price increases on fully or widespread. Some of them may have just mm-hmm. been spot increases like, hey, this component is now going to be increased to match this market availability. Now, the beginning of the year, we might start to see widespread price increases, and those can be double, triple, quadruple, depending on which market oh, God, you're in. God bless and you. And so, <laughs> I mean, the beginning of the year is going to be a little bit iffy for some of those that are going to have to make that adjustment. As of now, we're still seeing business-to-business activity continue, which is telling us that those manufacturers, those business are, businesses are expecting to make a return on those investments that they're putting into place and that's telling right now because that's saying, hey, we see what's going on. We, we, we don't <laughs> think ready. it's going to be finished and we're going to put money into it because we're going to expect to get our money back out of it because yep. we're expecting demand to remain high and elevated in the coming months. All right. I want to get into the future. I want to yeah. show my first chart here. The, uh, the one, you know, you, we, we've kind of covered the present. Things mm-hmm. are kind of moving forward, but at a kind of a level set. We're kind of slowing a little bit yeah. in, in areas uh, for certain reasons. But I want to pull up the IOTI, the Inbound Ocean TUs Index. And this is 
kind of my leading indicator for the freight market fuel. So okay. how much gas did we put in the tank <laughs> yeah. uh, for the freight market? Because this is all the imports. This measures the TEU volumes coming into the United States based on estimated time of departure. So that big, tall lot, peak you see there that just occurred right around Christmas, um, that stuff's not going to get here till the end of January. Yeah. So the freight market, the OTVI, the you know domestic intermodal rail volumes will probably take on a lot of this volume moving through the winter season. Uh, shippers don't, they know they only have a few months here, uh, potentially, if the consumer demand, you know, doesn't fall off or, or do something crazy um, due to inflation. They've got a few months here to kind of get that inventory where they really want it and get prepped for that spring. So I don't think we can expect an easy winter like we see in the past where things just die completely. I think yeah. we are still in this cycle of where we're playing catch up. This IOTI is showing us that shippers have ordered earlier than normal and more so. So they've overordered and that's all coming uh, due into the United States here in the next month or so. So January isn't going to be a time off. But if you saw there at the end, there is a trailing factor to it that may show up. Uh, come February and maybe even March, uh, depending on that sense of urgency. So you're saying it's a pull forward? A little bit earlier than expected, okay. and there's a little bit more activity still in the still fuel in the tank, but I don't know that we can say that we're going to see the same amount of volume later in the year. That's okay. That's yet to be determined. I'm not calling it down yet. I'm just saying that right now it looks like shippers are pulling their foot off the gas, for February-ish, maybe. <laughs> so you would just say that it's a, a pull forward that may be mm -hmm. not as impactful as it would have been in the past. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm over here thinking about that Tennessee game. Oh, here we bit. go. But I don't want to get into it just yet. Yeah, I don't <laughs> want to get into it just yet. We'll save that for debatonomics as well. Yeah. But Zach, we also have that imbalanced market that I think you did a great job of highlighting. Um, we do especially have within Seattle. Yeah, we've got a crazy imbalance market. Now, this is just an example of, so we've got the demand still remaining high. We've got those tender rejection rates going haywire. This is an example of a market. Now, tender rejection rates out of Seattle, 25%. <laughs> this market averages less than 15% most of the time, less than 10%, a large portion of this year. It's over 25% and it jumped up starting in November. We were thinking, okay, Seattle, it's Christmas tree season, you know, harvests and whatnot. Nobody wants to go up there. It's snowing a lot, crazy. Seattle's rate to Los Angeles, over $2.40 a mile. And that, Anthony, for those that don't have context of what that means, you were lucky to get a dollar five a mile <laughs> five years ago in this lane. You were lucky to get freight at all out of this lane. And especially in January, you are desperate to get out of this area. Uh, and it's $2.48 up about 16 cents a mile since Christmas. With a solid confidence score as well. Strong confidence score. You saw the market dashboard there. Those are track rates, trusted rate, assessment consortium rates uh, developed here at Freight Waves. And it's th this that one chart right there is insane. Yeah. Um, I can't, like anybody that knows you know, pricing for transportation, truckload transportation, coming down that I-5 corridor, normally one of the dirt, most dirt cheap rates in the country, and those rates are still on the rise. And this is post, you know, mm -hmm. Christmas tree, harvest season, things like that. Mm -hmm. It's still on the rise here. So yeah. I think that's a huge call out there for sure. So lessons here are that the market's still turbulent. It looks like it's going to be turbulent for the next month or so. 
We'll reevaluate in February. This is going to be one of those things where we just have to reset every month to see where we're at because times are not changing. Uh, you know, some of these macro events, this nearshoring thing, Anthony, uh, I mean, we may need to touch on that another show and get a deep dive. We can make it an Let's, hour long show. Yeah, <laughs> we'll sure. deep dive on the nearshoring thing to see some of these long-term trends. But in the near term, the near future, it looks like, uh, you know, if you're a shipper, you're going to have to keep those, those same, everything you learned last year, keep it, yeah. keep it for now. Uh, do not pull your, you can't sit back on the gas. Looks like mini bids are still going to be a thing. Rate increases are still going to be a thing and uh, low compliance rates. So Zach, this brings us to the very end of our show, which is mm -hmm. also going to bring us to cancel Zach. Cancel Zach or <laughs> debate economics. And so, Zach, we have some great folks in the production team and the control go. room that want to know who's winning the national championship game. Because Alabama seems to do it every single year. You count them out. They come back with a vengeance. More than I want. Sorry, Aaron. Um, <laughs> I, I think beating a team twice is still difficult, even for the great Nick Saban. Mm -hmm. Um Georgia, I think, wins this one a little bit closer. And so I also want to get your take. That pull forward or the refereeing in that Tennessee-Purdue game. We don't have time for that. Those refs were obviously paid by Purdue. Uh, thank you for watching. <laughs> <laughs> have a great start to your year. We'll see you next time. Drink more water. <laughs>